Hello, everybody. Welcome to Carbide Content. I am Grant from Fellowship Blades. I am David of Contraption Collection. I am Dalen of MachineWise. And I'm John of Triaxis. So last week, I kind of talked about what machine you should start out with or or what reason you should get different machines. Um, but I didn't really talk about used machines, which often comes up when, when you're talking about the price of a Tormach. For example, a lot of people will say you can get this much more horsepower and steel uh, for the same price. And I think that kind of makes sense, but I've also been very cautious about uh, getting a used machine. Uh, part of the reason I did talk about, which was, you know, I think it's cheaper to crash and break things on a Tormach and replace them and and do it yourself. Um, and, you know, if you're buying a used machine, there might already be things broken that you have to fix. And if you're inexperienced, uh, which I still feel like I am in, in that sort of realm, um, you know, it can be a little bit of a scary, uh, scarier prospect, I guess. So I wanted to know what you guys felt about buying used machines. Yeah, your experience. yeah. I have I have uh, several perspectives, one as being essentially a mechanic in a shop um, and working on both as an operator and fixing, God knows, 50 probably used mills and lays and also having bought both of my mills are technically used and service grinders. Um, so, uh, Dalen, what, what's your used machine experience? Uh, most of mine have been used. Uh, the only one that, yeah, I've only purchased one mill new so far. Well, you guys want to say what you each have right now? Oh, that's good. Yeah. Cause yeah. I, I just have the Tormach original 1100 and, uh, the service grinder and that's it. Yeah. So I have a, uh, 2019 Haas VF2 and a 1997 Haas VF1, which I have yet to actually turn on yet. Um, and then, uh, probably 1927, uh, Brown and Sharp number two service grinder. I love how old that thing is. Yeah, <laughs> so old. <laughs> Let's see. I have a 2018 or a 2019 Mighty Viper RD500. And then I have a 2006 Miltronics VM16. And then a, what, 1999 Okamoto 6x18 ACC DX. Okay. And then I got a... Uh... I think it's a twenty late twenty eighteen or early twenty nineteen Haas VF two, and then a um, two thousand four Kia fifteen LMS. It's a pretty big size lathe, and then so, the Tormach. Was your Haas new, or did you buy that used? I bought it new. You bought new. Okay. okay, yeah. So you have a little different perspective um, from that side. Um, yeah, it's it's quite a range. It's crazy. You guys have bought machines that are like only a year or two old. And then you've also bought, I mean, Grant bought a machine that's 100 years old. Yeah. Uh, but even just buying stuff from the 90s, like, you know, that's a pretty big difference. Right. Oh, I guess yeah. I probably should have mentioned that I also used to have a 1985 Kitamura, my center one. Nice. Yeah. And then you guys have more machine shop experience where, where I guess you might have, uh, well, I, you know, I don't know how many machines were added to the shop when you were working there, but certainly there'd be machines in various conditions. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, my shop, uh, the newest machine in my old shop was a NH lathe 
that was, I think, 2018, or there's two of them. Um, and then the second newest was a 1997 uh, SV500, which is a, it's either Mori or DMG Mori, I forget when they conjoined. Um, but after that, every single machine in that shop was 80s horizontals, uh, 60s lays, Jeez. 70s verticals. Um, so all very old. Um, although I, I fixed, I, I worked on every age group, I suppose, even the new machines. So um, Yeah, you talked about having different perspectives, like as a, a mechanic or, or whatever. Um, do you want to get into that more? Yeah, so uh, basically I worked at a, a machine shop and the original purpose of, of me working there was to gain engineering experience. Um, but the engineers there ended up doubling as technicians. Um, and because every machine in the shop was so old, it seemed like most of our job was actually being technicians and fixing machines and whatever, just because we were the most capable. We knew, we knew the most about these mechanical pro- like machines um, and were able to diagnose and fix problems. So um, that's where that came in. But I started out at that shop as a operator, and then I did some setups and turned into a proper machinist. But then the second time I worked there, um, I, I fell on the engineering technician side. So, um, and I, I, I both shadowed an engineer. I went on to fix my own stuff. And then we also had anything that was kind of above our pay grade fixable. We had an outside guy that would come in and we would help him and, and work on these machines with him. So we would completely gut, uh, machines and pretty much tear out the entire internals, replace things and put them all back in. Um, does it, do you feel like that means you have a lot of confidence buying pre-owned machines? Uh, it gives, it certainly gives me more confidence. I wouldn't say I have a lot of confidence. Um, and, and the biggest thing is it's always a new problem. I never expect to, to think that I've understood every problem that can possibly happen with the machine. Um, and having fixed so many different problems, I know how bad it can get even on a machine that's, you know, 1997 or whatever. Um, and the, the biggest thing is just like, modern day compatibility like my vf1 from 1997 is on floppy drives floppy drives are getting harder and harder to source and and you know connect to your windows 10 machine or whatever so there's there's a lot of things that you encounter that you're just not ready for um and it may take you a week or two to just to figure out where to get a replacement part um compared to a modern day machine like my my vf2 hasn't had a hitch in the past you know 3,500 hours that it's been running or, or 3,000 hours, forgive me. Um, so yeah, I definitely have confidence that I can fix everything, but it, it doesn't give me enough that it's like, oh yeah, this machine's never going to be down. Like it'll, it'll go down. I just, it'll come back up, you know? What's uh, <clears throat> keeping your new machine uh, from running? Uh, electrical. I, okay. Yeah. I can I live in kind of the boonies. And so as I found out yesterday, uh, my shop, which is kind of the backside of a larger facility, is technically in a different county's electrical grid than the front side of the shop. And the front side of the shop is what the service for the rest of the shop is. And so we were going to have them just hook up a transformer on a pole, but they were like, that's not our pole. That's that's these people's pole. Oh, so, that's awesome. Yeah, what the hell? It, yeah. Is, it was so unexpected. And so it just it pushed everything back a little bit but we're figuring that out more today i think so you think uh sorry go ahead 
I was hoping I get sorted soon. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so, uh, you think that your latest machine you got in good condition and there's not much you need to like work on? Yeah, so there's several things that you can look at, and uh, this is probably a very good thing to talk about um, between all of our experiences. But there's some there's some red flags and green flags. Um, if your machine, no matter how old the machine is, if it looks like it ran cast iron its entire life, run away as fast as you can. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the cast iron dust because I wouldn't I would hesitate to call it chips, uh, dirt, <laughs> grime, whatever that is. Um, it gets everywhere, and not only in a dirty factor, but like it'll get below below the ways and actually sand them down faster. It'll it'll do some nasty things to your machines. Um, so if it if it ever runs cast iron, don't buy it. That's that's a used machine that needs to go to a junk pile. Um, my machine luckily looks like it ran aluminum for most of its life. Uh, the chips that were in there, the chips everywhere are aluminum. There's no rusty spots like in the spindle or on the spindle. Um, so it had good coolant in it. It looks like it was just in a good machine shop, a dirty machine shop. It, it's not, you know, clean, clean, um, but it's not rusty and it's not like dusty. Um, the electrical panel looks pretty good. There's no like weird wiring. Um, if you ever find a rat's nest in your electrical panel, that's a bad sign because some intern engineer has been, <laughs> has been messing with it. Um, you mean like just all the wires are, there's not good cable management? Yeah, well, so most of these mills ship with realistically pretty good cable management. Um, everything's Everything has a spot. It was all designed for it. So if there's a rat's nest or the wires are kind of look like they're out of place, that means somebody has come in and and changed wires or done things to get things to work. Like a lot, a lot of, you know... Uh, redneck job shop fixes will end up being overriding sensors because, right. hey, if the if the airflow sensor is not working, but we know we have air, guess what? We don't need that sensor. Um, yeah, where that could be a very valuable sensor, obviously. Um, so yeah, th- 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 those are the things that I kind of briefly check out. I mean, I saw this. I bought this mill site unseen, but when it got the shop, um, I did a kind of a once over. Uh, those are those are the big things that I'm looking at as far as the exterior the interior is i'm taking off weight covers i'm you know doing kind of a deep dive in the tool changer um definitely obviously your coolant take i'm going to clean deep clean and check out the pumps and stuff like that but those are all kind of um stage two or if something breaks that's when those start happening because now i have to figure out what broke yeah so you you bought it sight unseen and and uh Dalen, you bought your grinder not even being in the same state as it, right? Yep. Yeah, I was completely sight unseen as well. There was one little video of it running. I think that was 20 seconds long. So, like, uh, clearly, I guess the price has to be right to take that risk. But but what else right. kind of got you to pull the trigger? On the grinder? Um, I mean, I needed a grinder. And it, the price was right, for sure. Um, other than that... It was mainly the fact that I couldn't find a single forum post online of an Okamoto with any issues other than spindle bearings, which isn't really a big deal. And this is an and you bought an Okamoto, you're saying? Yep, yep, it's yeah. an Okamoto. Um, so they just don't break, <laughs> which was further validated when I talked to an Okamoto tech who 
basically said, yeah, they just don't break. Yeah. Yeah. Because so you were you were really close to buying a new a new Okamoto. I was, yep. Um but wow, have the prices gone up. And the yeah. lead times were ridiculous. Yeah, so it seems like that worked out super good. Oh, yeah, that worked out fantastic. Um, I've had a really good experience buying used overall. Um, I just do the the standard inspections, check spindle run out, check tram, check backlash, listen to it run. Um, those are my my main things that I check. Because yeah, you've also bought brands I'm less familiar with, like. Yeah, all the machines I seem to have are 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 moderately unknown brands. Yeah, I knew I knew about like Kitamura, but you know that's that's one thing I've I've heard when buying used machines is is like at least especially I'm in New Mexico, which doesn't have like the biggest machining uh, environment, I guess. Okay. <clears throat> and so uh, it can be hard to buy stuff, and I've heard, for example, that just reselling is easier with Haas as you might expect. And so, oh, yeah. you know, if I bought a used Haas or I bought a new Haas, it'd probably be easier, you know, if it didn't work out for some reason, if I couldn't mm-hmm. fix it, I could probably get it to the next person a lot easier than a Duzan or something, which is still pretty common, but right. I um, mean, yeah, mine are significantly less common than even the not as common machine brands. I never even heard of Miltronics or Mighty Viper before buying them. Yeah, your your shop's the first I've seen them. <laughs> yep. Yep, gotta go against the grain, I guess. So did you like uh just uh you saw those like well where where did you find the machines? Like where do you guys uh let's see, how like, did I get look, into Mighty eBay, you know, Craigslist? How did I find Mighty Viper? Because the Mighty Viper I bought I I did buy new. Um, it, it was on someone or it was on the show floor for about a year or two, but it was new technically. Oh, okay. Um, well, what show floor? Like, a, uh, a distributor? my, yeah, my, my local distributors, uh, show floor. Okay. Shoot. How did I find them? I might've just Googled. I, 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 I yeah, I think I just Googled, uh, like machine distributors machine tool distributors around me and I found them or something. And uh, was it eBay for the grinder? Uh, what was the grinder? Grinder was, I think, machinerycentral.com. Okay. Which is a, a, a decently popular uh, used machine seller. Uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so I found my VF2. Uh, I actually I was calling the Haas rep to buy a, a brand new VF2, and I was trying to get the process started. And and I told him what I wanted, and he was like, "Hey, we have a a guy local to you, like literally ten miles away, who's trying to get rid of their like 2019 is like new, you know, year and a half old at the time, and it was a twenty grand discount." And I was like, "Well, I can't say no to that." So. Uh, my Haas rep just led me onto this. Um, and then on the VF1, it was a bidspotter.com, you know, just auction sites. Yep. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool that yep. Haas would tell you that, I guess. It, that's how I got the Miltronics. Yeah. Tool reps and, and machine reps are awesome, frankly. They're really, really good. They are. Yep. I'm, I've been happy with all the ones I've worked with so far. Uh, John, do you want to talk about your experience getting your 
your lathe and getting your boss? Uh, yes, the lathe. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I bought the lathe on, uh, I found it on eBay, but it was like basically posted by a machine reseller. And then they okay. just gave me the owner's contact information because it was pretty local. And I actually went, drove and saw it run and talked oh, to nice. them and stuff. Um, so that was somewhat confidence inspiring, sort of, to see it yeah. actually making, you know, yeah, money. watching it run always helps. Yeah, money parts. Uh, there was a couple things wrong with it. I mean, I probably, I'd probably do the same thing again, honestly. Okay. <laughs> um, but I've obviously done a lot of work to it. And then the the mill I just bought new and financed through Haas's, uh Actually, it wasn't like Gene Haas's thing. You know, they Haas has like their own internal financing. It was like yep. financed through the HFO. So they have their own finance company as well. And oh, that's okay. how I got finance for it, financing for it. Because that was like the business was new and I had to back it with my personal yep. income, essentially. Yep. Um, yeah, but that's how I got those two. So nice. so how much did you have to fix on the lathe? Oh, uh, <laughs> quite a lot of stuff. But off the top of my head, the coolant no longer went through the turret. So this is an electric turret. A twelve spot turret, and it uses—I cannot remember the standard for the tool holders, but basically, they—it stopped. Like coolant was unable to travel through the turret anymore, and they basically took the hose, punched a hole near the main spindle, and ran a lock line there, and that was their solution. Like a really like the long, last owner. Yeah, like a really long forty-foot hose that wrapped around the machine because it's a pretty long. Along a mm. bedded lathe, and the coolant pumps like all the way in the back, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was one of the fixes that was pretty major. I had to take the turret apart, and it ended up just being like a frozen spring and and a washer, like the <laughs> washer that actually seats up against the because the turret slides obviously as it as it right. rotates in position, and the there's like a Delrin. I don't know if it's Delrin or um, uh, some other like sliding plastic, but it was worn out and it wouldn't seal anymore. And so when you would shoot coolant, it would just basically shoot the coolant down past the, like that rotating area and just down onto the lathe instead of actually going through the holder site. Ended up having to make those. What's that? Floor coolant. Yeah. Yeah. Floor coolant. The best Um, coolant. So that was like one of the ones that I really wanted to fix, but then I've had all sorts of issues, like a hydraulic line breaking to the sub spindle and having to redo the the cable guide there because it yep. was basically metal accordion that was wrapped around oh, no. and yeah that was fun there's a whole bunch like i have a bunch of youtube videos and actually doing a bunch of fixes for it but oh, like i have to watch those yeah three weeks ago a reed switch went out in the sub spindle so then like it was just frozen <laughs> i just there's so much like stuff that i've done to it it would right. sometimes it would just randomly shut off while running and it hasn't done that in a while <laughs> do you, yeah uh, do you, did you like find uh like manuals and information on this machine that you're able to use to to fix these problems or, or do you feel like it was a lot of trial and error so luckily because of social and everything uh i found a couple of people who own own these machines and i was able to like you know, bounce ideas back and forth with them. And then also it came with all the manuals, which was nice, like all the factory manuals and all the FANUC 
uh, service manuals. Though nice. I have no idea how to read any of them because, because I don't know, there's a lot of stuff going on, but mm-hmm. they have been helpful for sure. Um, yeah, and then as far as like parts availability, it's not very good because it's a Kia, and then I think the gen after or the year after, yeah, I think it was Hyundai and Kia okay. merged. So then there's like a weird, like area, like era of parts not matching kind of thing because it completely rechanged. Mm. And then so there's that issue, and then yeah, um, I don't know. <laughs> it it when it works, it works, and when it doesn't, it's very broken. <laughs> yeah. Well, then uh, buying a Haas new. You know, you get to really pick every single option you want. Um, do you feel like you picked the right choices and, and like it worked out? Or, or do you think like maybe just going used would have been better? I think so. I don't know. Like basically my idea is if you have a product that you know would sell and you like, let's say you have a day job or something and you can finance a new one then you remove any sort of headache, like any mechanical headache between the product and actually like making the money for it. So you can kind of justify a payment doing that. Now I say that, but I didn't have the product. (laughs) I was like, I'll just get the machine and go from there. So I don't recommend anyone doing what I did, but from an actual like use versus new, I think if you have something like an idea and the only thing standing between you is the like the execution of it is a machine, then like financing isn't a bad idea because then you don't have to worry about you, you know, as far as like any mechanical breakdowns, that's obviously not true because new new doesn't mean reliable. It can still break, but you remove any sort of uncertainty at least on that. And and then usually like, at least there's a year warranty with like most machine builders. Yeah. Um, and the Haas has given me no issues except the tool removal or install button on the actual column is very, it's worn out, I guess. The contacts are worn out in it, so you kind of have to play with the button. Oh. Yeah, it's just like, honestly, it's probably an hour worth of work to change it by right. just taking the cover off and doing it. I just haven't gotten to it. But other than well, that, I have had literally no issues with it. And nice. yeah, I mean, that's there's something to be said for that because I don't have to worry about fixing it like if you spend i mean the lathe i've probably spent i don't know multiple days worth of hours working on it when it could have been making money you know right yep so i don't know was it worth it to do that i'm not really sure but a new lathe is like that's a lot of money you know i mean it's all a lot of money but that's that's how i think because you know my exposure to like the the machinist i follow the most is is grimsmo of course and you know, he got that Willowman and it's taken like a year yeah, to, right. to get running. And that's like a super specialized machine that also can be crazy expensive. So, you know, maybe that makes sense. But like, that's my fear is, is like, there's already enough delays. Um, you know, like it, it, it kind of, again, is like if you're a hobbyist or, or uh, you have a product uh, where I even talked about like, if you just have a product and you don't care that much about machining, like it, you shouldn't try to learn machining just to make the product. You should probably find someone else to help you right? because um, it's not actually going to be cheaper. Um, and so it's like a similar thing where lots of times it's like, 
oh, getting a used machine, there's all these benefits, like getting to fix it will help you learn how it works or uh, or even like making your own tools, making your own jigs and fixtures or making your own belt grinder. Like these all can help you so much in, in learning things. They can all help you uh, get something that's maybe perfectly tuned for what you want, but it's also like, you know, every day I'm not selling scissors feels bad. And so, you know, it can feel like, like, uh, you know, when I first got the Tormach, even that took like a couple weeks. It felt like to f- set up and wire everything and, you know, build the enclosure. I think it's a little easier to put the newer ones together. Um, right. But it's like, even just getting another Tormach, it feels like that's a, a week I'm, I'm making a Tormach instead of scissors. Um, right. And so the idea of, you know, trying to fix a used machine and breaking something and making it worse and it taking a year to fix is like my nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, and I, like, even if you're, so I, I like the thing I'm somewhat mechanically inclined, like I do my own work on most stuff, but as far as like electricity goes, I'm a little, like, Oh, for sure. A little very novice at it. So the lathe has a lot of electrical issues that I'm sitting there and I'm like scratching my head and someone's like, Oh, just jumper these two wires. And I'm like, they tell me that <laughs> I don't want them to like, <laughs> explain because it's like you just do this thing but i'm standing there at the electrical cabinet like uh am i doing something i shouldn't be doing because i don't really understand what i'm doing that's kind of the issue with the lathe has been like the mechanical stuff has been easy you know to fix it just takes time like you can understand the coolant doesn't come out of here okay there's probably some very specific reason why they chose to do this oh it's this like worn out thing that's easy i'll just make one and put it together but electricity is like okay, it's doing this thing, like, now I have to, like, learn a FANUC ladder diagram, which is, like, you Google how to read a ladder diagram, and there isn't, like, a guide on how to read one, but now you're following YouTube videos of other people doing it. So it's, like, there's a lot more to it. Like, even if you're mechanically inclined, there could still be issues that are out of your... your, your range, I guess. Which no, I mean even the Tormach, it it that's probably what made it take so long when I first got it many years ago. Is is it, it's the electrical stuff where it shouldn't be that complicated, but you know I got like the fourth axis wiring, I got uh like the spindle load meter, just like a ton of stuff that you have to wire up and and put into the cabinet, and uh, you know there's not going to be risk of you electrocuting yourself. There's not uh you know, crazy, you're not soldering anything. I don't think I did. Um, but still just like trying to follow the wiring diagrams, you know, it's, it's very different. I can try to go look and buy a used lathe. And if I see it has crazy run out and the ways look terrible, you know, that's, that's easy, but the electrical stuff, you know, it's definitely not, not my area of expertise. Yeah. I I will say on that note, um, and and I'm certainly by no means a electrician or anything of the sort. I'm much more mechanical. But um, electrical currents are just a different form of mechanics. You just have to understand the mechanics to really get them to be able to fix them and analyze them and stuff like that. Um, and luckily, there are people whose jobs are to do that. So it, it, just because there's an electrical problem, A, one doesn't mean you have to fix it. You can hire a technician or electrician to come in and help you out because they'll probably see a stupid something stupid really quickly and 
you know, save you a lot of time. Um, but B, you know, like what John's doing, taking that mechatronics course, like you'll, you will understand a lot more. And whenever you encounter a sensor with, you know, three, three outlets on it and you're like, all right, if I just jump the the ground and, and this one, it'll trip it on always like, okay, yeah, that's an easy fix or, or whatever. Um, yeah. I think with, with electricity the though, sorry, what? Uh, which is the whole point. I'm taking that course because I don't like not knowing. So yeah. Yeah, you were saying, David. Uh, yeah, just uh, I think with electronics, though, there can be a risk of of damaging things and and like having very little clues why and being able to do like a a large amount of damage. So you know, I've built my own PC, and uh, you know, you gotta make sure you're grounded and you gotta worry about static electricity and you gotta not bend any pins when you're carefully putting the C- CPU onto the the motherboard. You know, there's definitely like a level of, uh, you know, you can just you can just uh, do things on this this small scale and uh, just totally make it a brick. Yeah, I, there there are certainly um, I would say more complicated ways to mess it up, I guess. Or uh, um, yeah, you're absolutely correct on that. Um, and th- but there are also like. On that same note, is if you if you know the big things to avoid, like you know, don't randomly grab wires when the machine is on and powers to it. Like you you can solve yourself a lot of things, um, or you can avoid a lot of those issues. But yeah, if you accidentally you know lean on a wire too much and your screwdriver shorts a cable, you might blow a motherboard. Um, yeah, it's definitely definitely a thing. Um, I definitely like. I'm walking on tiptoes in the electrical cabinet where, you know, if it's a mechanical issue, I'm hitting it with a hammer. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I don't know. Like, like I said, if you got, if you got a sellable product or you have like a product that people want and you have a wait list with like a hundred plus people on it, you know what I mean? Like you can see demand. You can kind of justify you know, getting something somewhat new. You don't have to buy a the top end Japanese, you know, vertical kind of thing. Like you don't have to do that. You can get like a mini mill. But yeah. it's nice to like be able to plug it in and not worry about the mechanical side of stuff. You know? Yeah. There is something um and this uh David, you probably have the most experience out of all the Tormach users because you're still on a Tormach. Um the the idea of a new hobby level machine being equivalent to an old VMC, because um, like your Tormach, like the tool changers, unreliable. So you're you're changing tools by hand, stuff like that. Where you know a tool changer may break on a VMC, but as soon as it's fixed, it's probably going to run for the next several years, perfectly fine. You know. I uh, I mean, sorry, did I interrupt you? No, I was like, what's your insight on that um, kind of so level? So I, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I worked in a machine shop that had some pretty old machines and, and uh, you know, they were unreliable. Um, I, I was, uh, I worked on a machine that we called the Tupperware, where it's like the old Haas, where it's like entirely a plastic enclosure, oh, like yeah. from the 80s. Um, you know, like... It's like there's definitely some unreliability to the Tormach, but in a way it's like preferable to the unreliability of uh you know an old 
an old uh, Haas potentially. I mean, you know, maybe for the amount of money I paid, like maybe there was the right machine. Again, like I feel like the selection can be worse in New Mexico, and I think it's even scarier if you don't have experience buying machines, uh, buying something sight unseen. I'm not sure when I'd be comfortable with that. And, um, um, yeah, I think, I think just feeling like you'll more quickly make chips, feeling like things won't go catastrophically wrong. You don't have to worry about missing that somebody, you know, rewired something or made a coolant hose MacGyver situation. That's, uh, you know, I think that's part of it. I also think, um, you know, cause like I, I definitely think even that crappy old Tupperware, it could take way bigger cuts than, uh, than the Tormach. It could, it could probably have more accuracy than the Tormach potentially. I mean, well, I, uh, maybe not, I'm not sure, but definitely comparable. And, uh, you know, even though it's like 30 years old, mm-hmm. um, and that was the worst, worst possible machine in that shop, probably, um, but you know, not having to worry about three phase wiring is a big thing. Um, I think. Uh, I I think that. I'm tra- sorry. I'm trying to remember. I kind of have gone on like ten different tangents. Um, I, I I think that it again. It depends what you're trying to make. Um, and uh, for for things like knives, uh, the Tormach can be good. Uh, if I was making something larger, uh, or it always had to be, you know, you had to remove a lot of steel, then the cycle times really kill you. Right now, the cycle times are starting to be a bigger problem for me because I'm spending more time just trying to make bigger quantities of parts mm-hmm. and less time in the design phase. And so now I do want to to get a Haas eventually, like probably a Haas, because I also think. Uh, there's issues with service in New Mexico, and I think getting a technician, if I need it in New Mexico, will be a lot easier than any other brand from what I've seen. Yep. Um, but there's, you know, the idea that the Haas will have more issues in the first place than if I got a DMG Mori or something. So it's, uh, you know, not that I would probably buy a DMG Mori, but I think that's uh, you should another just buy a DMG Mori. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Grimsma. <laughs> uh, th- so. There is certainly something to be said about reliable unreliableness, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, like, so I ran a Shapuku shapoku, shapoku for a long time um, in, in college and just as a hobby. And it's like, yeah, I, I am very aware that if I take too hard of a cut, the spindle will visibly move by like a quarter inch. Um, but I was, you know, knowing that I would just take light cuts. I would take skim, you know, small step over, small step downs, no big deal. Where, you know, I, especially the the mills I've previously worked on, you might sit there for four or five days taking apart something only to realize it's a sensor in the back and not in the front. You know, like it, it, tracing down a unreliable problem is very technically challenging compared to just dealing with a small thing every day oh yeah um, i actually so. have that on my miltronics right now oh no what's going on <laughs> um it just the so the way the miltronics works is the 
the main like like motion computer control it's all in the front control on a little panel and it talks to all the all the uh like servo drives and all that through a uh what was it a what are the light cables thank you fiber optic cable yep um and it'll the the control panel will just lose uh connection to the rest of the electronics and it just like stops in its tracks oh yeah it's it it's been doing that recently, and it's actually really reliable at doing it at about five o'clock on Friday. <laughs> Interesting. Well, it's it's time for the weekend, dude. Yeah, yeah it's it's yeah. the weirdest thing. Um, we think we've <laughs> fortunately, I, I I do have some pretty good support with it. Um, and they think it might just be some some bad uh, or some some power supplies that are going out. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's the weirdest thing, and. Like I have I, to just call my service tech and be like, "What's going on?" I, I remembered uh, what I was going to say earlier. Oh yeah. Um, a big reason that I I like the Tormach and and sort of wanted to go with the Tormach was I could buy a lot of tool holders for the same price as a single tool like Cat Forty. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And so I have like a hundred tool holders probably. Well, maybe not. I, I have like 50 tool holders or something. And I mean, tool holders is nice. Um, and then it's a similar story with I wanted to do fourth axis stuff and adding a fourth axis to a machine is way more expensive on uh, a Haas than, or whatever machine than uh, a Tormach. Um, and it's a similar story with probing too is is uh, I kind of wanted to do probing and again, it's like uh, I don't know, a few hundred dollars or something for a uh, the Tormach, where it's what five grand for a Renishaw? Yeah, like minimum. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and again, on a Haas. Yeah, and then you break it; it's gonna it's gonna be way more expensive breaking yep. a Renishaw than it was. Tormach's probe. almost eight thousand dollars for my probing package that I'm still waiting for it to be installed. Wow, <laughs> yeah. dude, Haas, Haas gets some deal. They're doing some black magic behind the curtain, right? I've gotten some information from other machine tool manufacturers about why. Haas's Renishaw kits are cheap relative to other Renishaw kits and like they just build the price in elsewhere is what I've heard. I don't know. Oh yeah, that's I think that's what Haas is doing with everything is is they they make some stuff cheaper and then you know charge extra for the 30k spindle or whatever. Right. I that's something I do really appreciate about Haas though, on on an actual user level, is they build in everything that a machine needs to the base machine. They just don't include the probe itself, like the actual unit. But the board is probe ready. Like I Which my, is really nice. Yeah, like my air blast. Like I have I have the servos, I have the M codes, I have I didn't have a solenoid, but I just got one, plugged it all in together, wired a wired my air, and I had suddenly had air blast. Um, that's super nice. I didn't have that on like most Fanuc machines aren't like that. Yeah, well yeah, any Fanuc machines I've ever touched are yep. not like that. Um, I don't even have any spare relays that are that are programmable through an M code on yeah. my machines. Yeah, like even even like I, through spindle coolant, I'm pretty sure you can technically drop it in. Like it, it's more of a service bill than my probe was, but yeah, um, that's uh, I think the main thing on that is having whatever that 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 rotating seal is called that goes in the spindle. Yeah, if it has that, then everything else is a is a pretty easy field install. Yeah, which which is just really nice. Like I really appreciate about that about Haas, yep. especially because yep. 
like the base machine isn't crazy compared to a Mori or compared to other. No, yeah. Uh, yeah, Huzzle's a, Huzzle's a lot of things right for sure. Um, there's a reason that they are probably the most popular. Um, and, and like I, I had heard so many mixed things about Haas, and uh, so like I, I am kind of thinking that's my next machine is probably a Haas. But like I, for a long time, I really thought my first like real machine would be a Duzan because I liked. It, it seemed like just the base machine was better for the same price. You get like a big plus spindle and like three spindle coolant built in. And, you know, I can't remember everything. Like I think the, the base uh, RPM was higher. It seemed uh, better built, but I think that the problem with uh, Duzan for me is probably service. Um, and, uh, and then also one thing that I, I, I saw, I was trying to like, I, I've basically decided I probably want to avoid Fanic control, but Maybe that's uh, dumb because every time I do research, like, which is, you know, how do you feel about this versus this? And like, I'll just see comments like, well, the main benefit of Heidenheim versus Fanuc is um, Heidenheim doesn't make me want to put a gun in my mouth. Yep. Usually the, <laughs> like, the argument the, the, it's the really funny. is crazy. Yeah. The argument of, of like Fanuc versus X, it always ends up being that X is better because it's not Fanuc. Yeah. yeah. And uh, okay. Fanuc is an acquired taste. <laughs> it's super reliable. Um, I've never had a control problem with the Fanuc control. I mean, even dating back to my 1985 Kitamura. Yeah. The control was 100% reliable. And it was even still supported to some extent through Fanuc, which is impressive. But it is an unintuitive, disgusting user interface. It's, yeah. I, I will be the first person ever to trash talk Fanuc. Um, yeah. However, I will say uh, every job shop, machine shop in the country has a Fanuc machine that runs daily. Yep. So, so there is something, yeah, there's something to be said about Fanuc works. However, it's not going to be a pleasant experience. Right. It's <laughs> intuitive Fanuc to me now. Pretty good. The, What's that? The new Fanuc interface is honestly pretty good as far as UI goes versus They're old. getting better. They're definitely getting better. And then there, there's a lot of machine tool companies that are reskinning Fanuc. Yeah, yeah. No, like I, I think even overlay on it does that. Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Fanuc is is moderately intuitive to me now because I I, I learned on Fanuc. What is uh? So what does your lathe use, uh, John? It's a Fanuc OITB. Okay, and how do you feel about it? Um, it took a while to get used to, but like I'm pretty, you know, at this point it's easy. And then luckily you can do RS two thirty two to USB. Yep, and nice. uh, yeah, actually, the lathe has uh, I can't remember me- as far as memory goes, but there's enough in there to actually have like decent. Uh, oh, that's nice. And in- interpolating like C axis uh, work on there. Okay. You can't have more than like one program, but uh-huh. uh, I've um, never had a yeah. control that has enough memory on it for me. Yeah, I think it's I can't remember. It's either like one uh, one megabyte, ten megabytes. That's more than my mill. Two, two megabytes. I don't know. That's crazy. My mill came with the upgraded memory package, and it has five hundred and twelve kilobytes. Excellent. Yeah. And I have to drip feed all of my programs. And if you drip feed on Fanuc, you cannot use macro programming. Ouch. Oh my gosh. So I can't even do all of the fun things I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> because I have to drip feed all my programs. 
It's such a dumb, like, frustrating issue that should not exist. It's like, so annoying. Dude, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a 2018 or 2019 mil. This thing should come with at least a gig. Wait, yeah. your your 2019 mil has a has 512? Yeah. yeah, 512, and that's the upgraded option. I thought you were talking about your old, your your 80s mil. No, that one came that. with uh, 32 kilobytes, and I, I believe oh, that was oh an God. aftermarket uh, memory upgrade. You're wow. I think I literally think my Haas has a gigabyte. I'm, no, yeah, I'm, no. <laughs> Haas ships with Haas ships with 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 one gig minimum. Yeah. Wow. I think even your 97 probably has several dozens of megabytes at least. Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't done too much diving yet, but yep. that's that's crazy. A 20 2018 2019 mil has yep. 512. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that's about buying used machines. You go you go farther back in time. You just can't run modern toolpaths. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And it's Mike not just memory too. It's like up. how how fast it looks ahead as well, right? Yeah, look ahead. Just the processing power. Um, my old 1985 Kenamura. I while it it could do simultaneous three axis surfacing, it was limited to about ten inches a minute if it's moving all three axes like oh simultaneously. That's yeah. Slow. So like all my surfacing, I had to get creative and do like two and a half D surfacing, things like that. Wow. Yeah. So for this type of stuff we do, where we want to make funky blades and handles and stuff. Yep. Like, I think that's so much more important. If again, if you're just making like a giant, uh, you know, block with holes in it, uh, then uh, maybe you can get away with a machine from the fifties. I don't know, but. Right. Yeah. Another thing with buying new, oh, I don't know if this brought up. But um, having training is really nice. Usually when you buy something new, uh, you'll have usually a day of training at least where they will, you know, kind of walk you through the control and all of the basics of, of, of operating it. No, I mean, I think even you get into higher end machines. You know, I, I remember when I, I talked to Lucas uh, Squid Industries when he was getting his Swiss lathe. Um, and... Uh, I was worried, like, oh man, I heard those can be hard to learn or whatever. Well, they are, uh, and uh, and I think he, you know, he was talking about, and I think lots of companies do this, where like you can just say, like, hey, I want to know how to make this part, and like they'll, oh, they'll yeah. like set it up and and uh, and like you know sh- they'll like prove that their machine can make your part and uh, will help you get your machine making that part. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. I was actually, again, it depends how high end a machine you're buying probably. Yeah. When I worked at my previous company, which was in Northern California, it actually isn't too far away from squids, uh, shop. Um, they had, they had someone come out from citizen and, uh, and train me for a week. Actually, it was really nice. And yeah, he, I mean, he's like, okay, what part do you want to make? It's like, okay, I want to make this. It's like, okay, cool. And we just spent the entire week programming and setting that part up on that machine. That's awesome. It was actually the same guy that ended up uh, training Lucas as well. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Small world kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I also had an interest in... Um, uh, I, I, I knew this great machinist they work with who's incredible machinist, and he was a huge fan of um, Herco. Uh, because because Herco has like the best or possibly, you know, one of the best uh, conversational programming. And so, and so for job shop stuff, you know, he, he was a huge fan. Uh, But I think the problem with them is there's like only one 
service tech for like half the country or something. Oh, wow. Or, or, or it's definitely like much less than. Yeah, I think Herco's aren't as popular in the States. Like I hadn't even really heard of Herco until recently. Uh, but again, it seems like you could get a pretty good machine for a pretty good price, you know, comparable yeah. to Haas. I uh, but I've I've heard some mixed things about them too, and so, okay. uh, you know, they were on my list. Yeah. But uh, you know, I know I guess... someone who just got a Herco, a used Herco. Um, oh yeah. We were actually looking at it. Uh, I, I was thinking about buying it, and I, I ended up getting something else. And this guy bought it instead. It's like a 2006 or 2007 Herco. Um, and he's really happy with it so far. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the year, but I think right. in some years I might prefer a Herco to a Haas. Um, for uh, for if I buy a new machine, though, it's it's really hard to feel like I can escape Haas. Just the entire ecosystem of Haas is really friendly to like first time buyers and newer shops. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, they're trying to do like a full, in, you know, vertical integration thing. They're selling like vices and tooling now, too. Right. Which uh, part of me doesn't like that, but, you know, it's cool maybe, that, that they maybe off- it's good for the customer on some level, too. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I, uh, I have my pool studs are all Haas because they're the oh, yeah. best. And yeah, they yep. work. They're just fine. I mean, I would like to buy pool studs from, you know, the machine tool manufacturer if possible. At least, you know, they're going to be for that machine. Right, yeah. What kind of options did you get on yours, John? And, uh, you know, do you, do you wish you had gotten uh, some things you hadn't gotten? On the, uh, the VF2? Yeah. Um, I think I spec'd it out uh, pretty appropriately, I guess, for not really knowing what I was doing. Uh, the probe, I've always heard, don't not get that on a modern oh, machine. Yeah. So, always yeah. get a probe. Yep. Uh, probe, for sure, would never... Never order another mill without one, yep. uh, unless you had a specific reason for the mill and you didn't need it, right. kind of thing. Um, the chip auger thing, screw. It's all right. It's, I think I think it's worthwhile, depending on the chips you make. Yep. Do you know Do you know what that optioned out to, in terms what of cost? That? Do you know how much the auger cost? It's like five uh, grand or something. It's not five for a chip auger. auger. Yeah, five. That's a pretty worthwhile five grand, honestly. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm gonna buy one soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. And then, other than that, I'm obviously the fourth axis. That was in the beginning. It was not worthwhile because I had no idea what I was doing. So I was like, okay, I'm not even using right. this thing. And I think it was eleven or twelve grand. So that's quite a lot. But if you're gonna roll it into financing, um, you know. Yeah, uh, that's a lot, but that, that is actually a pretty good price for a brand new fourth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so now, obviously, I'm using it and uh, probably get utilized more in the future. So I don't know if I would have bought that off the hop uh, originally again in hindsight, but so, um, yeah. And then I honestly, the cheapest upgrade the and I wish they just came with this standard is that chip tray I was telling you about um, mm-hmm. last week, Grant is that thing. Plus the little removable things are by far the best thing for the price. It just keeps the chips out of the actual coolant uh, and it works really good. That's what nice. do you guys think of uh, mist collectors? I need one. <laughs> okay, yeah, because yeah. that's what where I feel like no one talks that much about it. But just right. even in the Tormach, I'm like, this is kind of gross. I, uh, oh, the Haas one is not good, so don't. I wouldn't buy it, and I'd get like oh. a mist away. Is what yeah, I mist are like. I think every every shop has mist away. It seems. 
but that's just what I've heard. So I don't have personal yep. experience. Yeah. I don't yeah, have I'd... a lot of issues with atomized coolant, surprisingly. Yeah. Even though both my machines are running at 12 grand like all day long. Yeah. Uh, David, I bought, I actually have, so I bought the Union too. We were talking about through spindle. So I bought the Union, but I don't have through spindle. And I would really like through spindle now. But honestly, what I really want through spindle is through spindle air. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I don't think I have the air capabilities or like the air capacity to do it. But through spindle air would make, would I think I'd have a significant uh, tool life improvement as well versus just the single nozzle. Because yep, when you like adapt on backsides and stuff, and the nozzle can't really reach, then you know, mm-hmm. yeah, the uh, atomized coolant thing might be less of an issue with smaller tools. I think. Yeah, I run sure. real small tools. Quarter and inch then, is my largest end mill. What's your base? A oh, quarter, quarter inch. inch. Yeah, that, that's my largest end mill. My thing with atomized coolant is if the tool holder is long enough and the coolant's just hitting the tool holder that's spinning, it seems oh, to be yeah. like a big thing. Yeah, I have really short stubby tool holders. Most of them are hydraulics now, too, so they're pretty smooth yeah. on the outside. If you, yeah, like regardless, if you have long run times, you're going to get coolant in the air. It's just yep. the inevitability. Yeah. And it makes, it's like, it's not a good comparison, but like a cigarette smoke, like tar that sticks on stuff. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what like atomized coolant does. Like there is this sticky stuff. Yeah, like, I hate that. On light yeah. fixtures and stuff. You like the fan in my garage is covered in this yep. sticky stuff and it's because of the the floating coolant so mm-hmm. yeah like I, d- I definitely do have some um but I'm, I'm just surprised that i haven't noticed like actual misting coming out of the machines yet i was i thought for sure that happened yeah so the the thing with through spindle coolant is is that i've been unsure about is one i've heard you can have big issues if you buy tool holders that aren't compatible because you can like blow stuff up trying to run through spindle coolant and you accidentally put in the wrong tool holder uh, that doesn't have a hole. And right. then uh, the other thing is uh, if you're running small tools, you can't actually do like through coolant tools. Right. And so uh, you need tool holders that can uh, help with that. Uh, like you go through a collet or whatever. And I think a lot of the tool holders I want to use like hydraulics, I worry if, you know, I'd even be able to use the through spindle coolant. Um. I mean, you would if you had through spindle coolant, I would just then I would just start buying, you know, specific for through spindle, like yeah, yeah, and then just and don't have any non sealed or don't have any sealed tools in there just in case like you think you're going to mess that up because I would imagine it's not very good for any seals in there or the union to have all that pressure going through there with no way to get out. No, I think you can do huge damage. Yeah. So yeah, if I was starting fresh, you know, just bought a new Haas or something, I'd and I chose through spindle, I'd only get through spindle. Yeah, through uh, spindle is is expensive though for sure for a new machine. So I mean, I think it also depends on like what you're cutting or right. your. It's one of those things where maybe you just want to get like if it's something you you might want down the line, just just make sure it's TSC ready so it it has that union in the spindle. Yeah, because you can always have the field install after that for much cheaper than if you didn't have the union. Yeah. I feel like I could, I could be able to field install that through, through spindle air blast too. I'm sure it's like just one solenoid away from me being able to do it, but I haven't. Right. I mean, if you think about it, like all, all mills have an air purge through the spindle when they do a tool change. Mine does. I think all Haas do. Yeah. I think it's like, it's, it's it's just a different solenoid, right? 
I'm not too sure. And I, I think it's in the in another area because it's around. I want to say it's around like the bearing face, like right after it on the outside. Okay. So it's different from the internal, like the hose that would center through that union kind of thing. But okay. Because, yeah, I know mine has I mean, mine also has the actual uh, bottom spindle bearing uh, air purge just to keep coolant out of the bottom bearings. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But mine also does have an air purge that goes through the spindle taper and like through the entire spindle during a tool change. Oh, right. I, the Haas, I don't think, has that. Oh, really? Well, yeah. I think it's just the bearings, at least. In, okay. In, oh, you're in, talking about like when it goes to do a tool change, it blasts air through the center. Yeah, it blasts air yeah. through the center to help clean off the, the taper of, of the spindle and the, and the tool. Yeah, the Haas doesn't have that, but I'm sure like if you had through spindle air, you could M code it. Kind oh, of. okay. Yep. So mine has that. But I still can't get through spindle air going. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, because it it's actually on a it's on a seal. So when the spindle moves up, it actually like pushes oh. a tube into a seal. So when it's down, it's there's no air going. It's, it's really weird. That's very uh, interesting. It's a funky you machine. Can, you can buy like extra M codes, right? Yeah, programmable M codes. Like I know, like people like Pearson do. Uh, wacky stuff where they like have a bunch of sheet metal you know stacked up and they have like the spindle yep. come over and bring it over like do you guys ever feel like you wish you had uh more m codes i would love some i mean even for i mean you can do air blast with things like that um you could just have other random things like a um you could use an m code for doing tool life management or things like that if you're at a little macro program that you just assign to an m code so I wish I had some programmable M codes on my machine. Yeah, I, I haven't played with it, but I'm pretty sure the Haas has some basic already. Yeah. Um, they should have a couple at least. Um, both Haas and Fook have a really, really good macro programming. Yeah, uh, like suite or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, but the Haas also has like extra solenoid slots for that. If you want to down the line kind of upgrade, if you have something that one like M code triggering a solenoid. There's spots on the rail on the manifold in the cabinet for it. Oh yeah. Really nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's how I got my air blast is there's like seven little uh, threaded caps that you just take out and put a solenoid in and then plug the said solenoid into a giant rail that has both all your normal M codes like air blast was just already an option on there and it has some extras at the bottom that you can program. Yeah. That's how you like uh, make the air to the Pearson palette go to it or something. Yeah, no. You could. Well, you oh, could, you know but my mine is my air to the Pearson is always on, so it, there's no reason to put a solenoid on it. Yeah, that'd be really sweet to do though, if uh, like you got a robot arm. Oh yeah, well, there's no, like yeah, air totally... vices and stuff too, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you could totally. So you just keep the the Pearson on, or I guess take out the switch, the table switch out, and put it on a solenoid. You could easily make that a a machine process. Yep. How easily do your Pearson pallets like like go on to the base? Mine are always a little bit sticky. A little bit sticky. Coming off lately, they've been like suctioning to the to the base, so that's oh, been okay. fun. Um, yeah, I, I have to slap them a bit. Yeah, because like I want like a tight fit. Um, I had a, a a different machine tool salesman just randomly like come to my shop one day, kind of caught me off guard. But they mm-hmm. also happened to sell uh, like UR robot arms. Oh, and he was like swearing to me up and down. Oh, it could definitely take those pallets off and put them back on. I'm just thinking to myself, I don't know if it could because they always stick. I have to like pull one side up first and kind of like wiggle it to get them off. Yeah, I don't know. Those those robots don't have as much strength as you might think. Yeah, right. I mean, he was swearing by it. But I mean, again, salesman. Yeah. 
I love yeah, that. I, if if I wanted to do something like that, I think like the arm is like like kind of one of those things where it's like the first obvious solution, but there's companies that make like little cells where it's like a box that like connects to the side of the mill and it's mm-hmm. like you know, or or like Pearson's Eroa thing, you know? Yep. Yeah. Like like stuff like that makes way more sense to me than the arm. Oh, it absolutely yeah, it does. Um and even Haas has like a front loading like gantry crane thing now, I guess. Yep. Wow. Uh, I love automation. Put stuff in. Oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, that's the dream. Uh, do you want to start wrapping it up? Because uh, I think we're right now an hour. Oh, yeah. We yeah. said an hour. Yep. Sure. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Bye-bye now. <laughs> <laughs>